I mean, we got I don't it right. actually know. I don't know. I forget. James is always the good clapper. Yeah. I click. He claps. That's uh, kind click of the- clap. Finger clap. Talk back. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Filmhouse. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Lisa Mattress. Uh, we'll be hearing a bit about that later. Um, and this podcast is actually going to be a little different. Uh, instead of a specific film, we'll be doing a general discussion on the topic of directorial debuts. Uh, because Adam and I saw this movie, mm-hmm. uh, sorry to bother you, and did not think it was strong enough to hold its own episode. What's the name of the movie? Sorry, you ate so, it a little bit. Sorry to bother you. Really? Yeah. There's been so much hype for this movie. I know. I'm excited to see it. Oh, no. Oh, who's that who said that? Oh. Is that a special guest? Jared from Wisecrack? <laughs> it is. Welcome Hello back. Hello and welcome Glad back. Glad to be here, guys. Uh, Thanks for having me. Is it for weird? Sure. Is it weird not talking about shitty movies this time? Maybe just uh, talking about good movies? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, we could talk about shitty directorial debuts, oh, right? Oh, crap. Okay, here, let me give you a list of some directorial debuts. Well, because you got to intro everyone. Oh, well, okay, uh, who, who do we got on our left? Well, Say your name. That's no, Adam Coven! I, I was trying to point out you left out Elise, but... That's uh, fine. Elise, <laughs> Elise, well, Elise is a force. She holds her own. El- Elise this is Elise. what I like to call a walking encyclopedia of directorial debuts. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's why like, she's here. It's Thank like she you. somehow keeps this information in her pocket. It's somehow. like I made this list of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always I'm I'm texting Elise at all hours of the night of like who what was the first movie Denny Villeneuve made? <laughs> Freddy Got Fingered. That's, no, that's correct. That's, uh, yeah. that's somebody else. And then I sleep. John's well gonna that. tell you. John's gonna tell you who made that. All right. Uh, well, I mean, this is this is why I thought this would kind of be an interesting thing to talk about because um, this movie, uh, sorry to bo- sorry to bother you, mm-hmm. is a directorial debut, and it's something that Boots Riley, uh, who's traditionally a musician, has been trying to get going since 2014. Mm-hmm. He kind of spoke about it. With Adam and I had the honor of going to a uh, special screening where he hosted, and he basically said that he wrote the screenplay in 2014 and has been trying for four years to make it. Um, and it was... I, I was really entertained by it. I really liked it, but it was a very flawed film. Um... I liked. Uh, I don't feel like that's a very long time. Four years to make a fucking movie. I mean, not that shit really. Takes a long no. time. You know? I mean, I yeah. I mean, how long did it take David Lynch to make Eraserhead? Like like nine years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's not with today's technology and advancements. Oh, yeah. yeah, like sort of, sort of like the internet hype train you yeah. can use when you're just like a creepy dude who made films with your daughter mm-hmm. or, not when, your, or your your little sister. Yeah. You know, if like, when they release on Coyote, we'll talk. If you're starting to write something in 2014 that comes out in 2018, you're doing pretty well. That's yeah. not bad. And the movie itself, I I don't want to take the wind out of any sort of sail for you. I would say go in with minimal expectations. I think it's a really interesting movie, and I think especially for a directorial debut, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's cool, and I think it has a lot of interesting parts about it, but it definitely feels like a first-time filmmaker. And mm-hmm. I, I think you'll I think you'll know what I'm talking about after you see it. Um, okay, and that, um, that's about all I want to say. Since you guys are both interested in seeing it, yeah. yeah. Um, but it is a film that I do not want to see again. Yeah. Well, I've just okay. been following all the social media promotion for it because it's been like really interesting campaigns and mm-hmm. not really specific to the movie, but just sort of like the vibe around it. Um, and it's got a pretty cool cast. Uh, yeah. So you don't think this is going to make Lakeith Stanfield a, a star? Um, he he is by far not. The bad part of the movie, like okay. he, he, I think he shines, and I think a lot of people know that from him being in Atlanta. Even in Death Note, James seemed to like him right. in that. Yeah, <laughs> like he was like, "Oh, look, he's great." And like, I don't think I've seen him do anything bad yet. I didn't. Well, yeah, I didn't particularly like his character in Death Note, uh, but that's because I was a fan of the anime. So what he did with th- L, yeah. I thought was sort of weird. I do think he just used a homophobic slur in a freestyle rap that he posts on social media, so mm-hmm. that might get him some attention. Positive, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe not the kind that we. What, what did he call you? <laughs> yeah, well, he said to tell you. He said he told me he said to tell you. Um, I, I think uh, he's a fantastic actor. If, if you haven't seen Atlanta, I think you should check it out. He is a he's a very young yeah. actor and he's a very talented actor. Uh, do you watch it at all, Jared? Atlanta? I have not seen it yet. I'm looking forward to it. But he plays uh, Logan in Get Out. Mm-hmm. He's he's the actual guy yes. who says Get Out. Yeah, he's. Kind of barely in it though. He's yeah, he's, a, he's but it's yeah. an important role. I forget okay. the name of the romantic comedy that was on Netflix last year, The Curious Case of Jessica Jones, maybe or something like that. 
Is it Chris O'Dowd? No, um, like Jessica, a, James. Oh, uh, Jessica James. Jessica James. <laughs> um, but know. yeah, he's Either he's kind of like the I'm, well, lead well, in that. If if the movie I think has enough hype behind it, um, incredible. Sorry, <laughs> I totally butchered it. <laughs> so um, close. Uh, oh, I love her. Yeah, she's that movie's like pretty enjoyable. Chris she's O'Dowd. seen people, places, and things. Yeah, which is really good. Uh, it is. Uh, but if anything, sorry to bother you is very unique and um, kind of its own thing. And I think that's something that kind of, uh, at least when I was looking up different directorial debuts, is something that can be very true about uh, people's first-time films. Because, Mm -hmm. uh, let me give you a little list here. Uh, Night of of the Living Dead, did that maybe change up the film uh, industry, like flip it on its head? I don't know, maybe Reservoir Dogs? Changed how movies worked. Um, Shawshank Redemption. Does he want us to argue with That's, him? Yeah, I mean. No, no hold on. Re- Master of Disguise. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. I'm noticing a trend. Freddy got fingered. <laughs> um, basically, it's like a, it's a roll of the dice. Uh, there sure. are some of the best and worst films ever made were people's first movies. Uh, quick question. What was the first film Bradley Cooper directed? Bradley Cooper really directed. Only, only because we went and saw Jurassic World last night, and there was a preview for a movie that he directed coming out. It's him and Lady Gaga. Wait, he directed that? Oh, it's set, it's a said Star he did. is Born. A Star is Born, thinking. yeah. Oh, the remake. Oh, it's The Hangover. He did not direct The Hangover, <laughs> did he? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, uh, this is his first, first movie. One. Okay, shit. Um, I actually well, have high hopes for that movie. That's another thing, though. Like Even when we were talking about Donnie Darko or Don S. Darko last time, <laughs> we talked about how, like, yeah, I mean, Donnie Darko was successful because, yeah, this 20-something-year-old director had a group of veterans around him mm-hmm. yeah. who were able to kind of pick up the slack when he didn't know what he was doing. So, yeah, when you talk about someone like Bradley Cooper, this guy's been on sets his whole life. He probably mm-hmm. is, like, homies with some of the best cameramen and some of the best DPs in the world. I have a hard time he can really fuck up that bad unless he's trying to do something super risky. Yeah. yeah. Or he's learned the David O. Russell like scream technique. Yeah. And <laughs> that's his I, school of Like at the very least he's not going to make something that's like un, or, or just like isn't even competently put together. I, mm-hmm. I had an interesting talk um, with um, to, completely unrelated to all, well kind of related to this but there were um, people who are actors and they were talking about going to like a director like a director school Mm-hmm. that like actors can go to if they want to start directing movies or television and they it it, it was um it was eye opening for me because actors obviously I think they pick up on a lot of things but on the other side there's a lot of actors who just don't give a shit mm-hmm. like there uh, there there were I've heard stories of people who just like there's the Tom Cruise right where he's like I want to know everything that's going on I I care about everything going on but then there's some actors like I just show up read my lines and I fuck off and yeah. like Wow. Okay, that's that's interesting because you would think, right? Yeah, Bradley Cooper would learn all these things or at least pick up people. I guess it's just sort of the person's temperament. It also just depends what your relationship is with uh, like the director of photography. Like, yeah, if Bradley Cooper's just like, all right, director of photography, you're gonna like build the shots and stuff. I'm just here to talk with the other actors and make sure that mm-hmm. you know the, the performances are good. I mean, there mm-hmm. are plenty of movies like that. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how Woody Allen directs. Yeah, like, what, you, know, just, you don't know if he's doing shot composition right. or scene construction. What he's doing, right? But I guess also it's a little different too, where when you're on a film set, everyone's there to do one job, typically. Yeah. Um, you know, unless it's an indie movie or whatever, where, sure, you know, you got, uh, we're looking at the trailer for Reservoir Dogs right now. Quentin Tar- Tarantino wrote, directed, acted, probably held the camera a few times, you know, like, but fast forward to like his new film coming up, he's most likely just directing. Maybe he has a cameo, but yeah. that, when you're working on a high, high budget set, you you do your one job, and if I imagine an actor, if someone tried to be like, "Hey DP," would he be like, "Fuck off!" Like, I'm doing my job. <laughs> right. Do your job. Leave me alone. And I'm I don't know. I've heard yeah. movie sets are crazy anyway. And so then the whatever. film that Adam and I are going to be talking about on our podcast next week, Eraserhead. Mm-hmm. I mean, David Lynch, from then to this day, literally controls every element. I mean, mm-hmm. he wants to, he does his own sound design. Uh, he writes it. Now he's like, and he's in, he's like one of the main characters in the new Twin Peaks season. So yeah, Eraserhead is, I mean, that's probably my favorite directorial debut because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really, it's amazing how mature he already is mm-hmm. as a filmmaker from the get-go. Yeah. Even though it took nine years to make. I guess that's the difference between like an auteur who is controlling all those elements yeah. and a hired director. Like Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket is one of the debuts I always think of mm. because it's a, a lesser budget Wes Anderson movie. It 
is his first like major feature directorial debut. Yeah. But you can kind you can see the elements of Wes Anderson creeping in oh, yeah. like with what he has to work with. Mm-hmm. And it's not I don't think it's his best film. It's the it's the film that like he made with what he had. But it definitely sets you. It sets a tone for what Wes Anderson's going to be, and that is what I think a good directorial debut achieves. It, even if it's not like a out the gate, um, you know, movie like a, a Shawshank Redemption that you have on your list there, John. That that is like wow, this is Academy Award worthy. I think if it if it at least shows the potential a director has, that I think is enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just, I made a playlist, uh, of some trailers just that we can watch while we're doing this, but mm-hmm. this is a good list. Uh, so Bone Tomahawk, one of my favorite films, uh, never even heard of it. Never even heard of it. It's great. You it. know what happened to me with that movie? I haven't seen it yet. Cause it came out a little bit after the, um, uh, the remake of, uh, what's Three, it? 310 to Yuma? No. Um, <laughs> the other one. Fuck. Uh, and not Kurt Russell, but, uh. Jeff Bridges oh. did oh, a, oh, um, the Rooster Cogburn. Yeah, Rooster Cogburn. Like, what is, oh, oh, True Grit. Oh, True is Grit. True Grit, yeah, yeah. It came out like a little bit after True Grit, and the the posters, I was like, man, Bone Tomahawk just looks so much like Rooster Cogburn that I'm not com- – but I've only heard good things about it, mm-hmm. about the bone. <laughs> it's it's really great. It's just the classic story of four doomed men right out at dawn, like the classic Western yeah. thing. It's that – uh, and it's done really, really well, in in my opinion. And Patrick Wilson's underrated, I think. Ooh, Nightcrawler, that is a good movie. Who yeah. directed oh, Nightcrawler? Yeah. Uh, a guy. Just Nightcrawler just guy. makes you feel dirty when you yeah. watch it. Night Nightcrawler is a good film where. I mean, I, th- I thought. Yeah, what has he gone on to do? He has gone okay. on. Uh, oh, he's, he's a writer right? beforehand. <laughs> okay. Um, he wrote The Born Legacy. Uh, hmm. Roman J. Israel Esquire. Oh, is with the uh, theme yeah, Denzel. Denzel. I heard Night, this Nightcr- was not good. Yeah, Nightcr- mm. that's tough. That I guess that. Well, he's an older gentleman. I always feel so bad. Like, can you imagine if, like, I mean, you know, we all live in Hollywood. We probably all know people who are directors or playing the director game. Can you imagine? Yeah, if, I got like, real popular friends. Yeah, not even popular friends, but people are just, you know, in the industry. On, yeah, just like struggling and like trying to make it. Like, can you imagine if you're you're just spending years trying to get a movie off the ground and someone comes to you and says, "Hey, you know, we got like great actors like Robert De Niro and." Um, uh, you know, like con- con- uh, attached to this movie. Do you want to direct it? And the script just sucks. Like, what do you do? Do you do you hold out? Like, you know, your mm-hmm. agent's not going to want to ever talk to you again if you say, no, nah, I don't want to do this movie starring Robert De Niro because mm-hmm. the script sucks. I mean, you fucking do it. And I guess you kind of just cross your fingers and just hope that you can make it good. But I mean, and then, and then you know, it ends up sucking. There's nothing you can do about it. And then your career's in the toilet. Like, I mean, this is not yeah. an easy business. Oh, God, no. I mean, it's one of those things that, I mean, at least you know this just from like the thing we shot recently when we were in Austin where it's like, this is just a micro budget thing, oh, sure. and it, just to make something look good in this tiny little square takes so much, so many moving parts that when it comes together, you're like, "Oh, thank God!" And yeah. then, like, we, we were just rewatching some of the footage of stuff we shot. Like I said, this is nowhere near like a film budget, and like, there's so many things where I'm like, I can just tell, I can see in my eyes, I'm worried about just hitting a mark and all these oh, other yeah. things that like, it was never even in my head to like. You should probably act good. Yeah, yeah. untitled Funhouse <laughs> RT sketch show. There was, yeah. I mean, there was a point where I'm I'm bent over and the camera's looking up at me for you know the entire uh, sketch, and uh, I was like deathly ill at the time. Oof. So like that is you know no one's gonna watch it and really see that, but I couldn't breathe because all of my mucus was like at the front of my oh, face no. yeah. um, but it's it's one of those things where and it's like you watch a movie you're seeing the final product and that's all you see you don't see all the the work sweat and tears that yeah, yeah all the work that went into it just to make this thing freaking work like just for a bunch of people to stand around and go okay you got to stand here you got to stand here but except you're going to be 30 feet over there but you got to talk it'll look fine um, those horses are going to look like cats. Uh, <laughs> That's by design. <laughs> yeah, it'll all make sense in the end. And then, like, you see it on film, you're like, oh, wow, that looks great. But it was the most awkward, like, the most awkward thing to film, probably, yeah. for them to do. So. Yeah, speaking of debuts, one of you guys, I saw one of your videos, you guys are friends with this, but this guy, but District 9 is one of the best 
directorial debuts in yeah. many years, I would say. Yeah, at least the last 15. When, when did that come out? 15 years ago? 10 years ago? 2009? 2008 2009. Or so, oh yeah, almost, God. Scott, it's been almost 10 years. Yeah, and God. that's a, a situation where I would say, like, that is a super strong debut, but I don't think Neil Blomkamp has, like, hit that pinnacle. I, I know you guys are friends with him, so I don't know what I can say, not I, say. It's, <laughs> it's a weird thing where he has ex- basically been told, like, by friends and family, like, Hey, I don't like Chappie. <laughs> you know? And yeah, he's like, you, but he's like, I like Chappie, so fuck you. Yeah, I think I he's actually, able have to you be ever honest ta- with himself. Have you ever asked him about his experience working with DeAntward? Because I, I watched your video interviewing him, and that's what I wanted to know. I, I mean, I should. I, I don't know enough about them. Okay. But I, yes, I have questions about that, too. I just didn't know if it would make for interesting discussion, but... It, hey, the next time we have them on, I've heard that like they happen. were nightmares to work with. I've heard that like you know like they were so hard to wrangle, ruined the whole movie. Like I, I've heard all sorts of shit. I'm super curious about. But I, I just know when that movie trailer came out, it was never sold to me that there'd be two musicians playing the leads <laughs> in this movie, and yeah. I didn't I didn't know who they were. Oh, yeah. Like I I everyone's like oh the ant word all right yeah. i'm like who i don't for me i'm out of touch it wasn't it was kind of like a detr- not a detracting point but i just sort of uh when you're trying to imagine someone as a character but their reputation precedes them i was mm-hmm. like oh well, did he and, put them in because they're like the south african icon and yeah but, and they're playing like themselves yeah, like yeah. ninja and yolandi they wear their own, own concert <laughs> gear yeah it doesn't make sense yeah it's that movie is super bizarre it just they didn't seem like people that you say no to yeah. Like, well, I guess. I mean, like, they, they are the two big cultural icons to come out of South Africa. Neil mm-hmm. Blomkamp. I mean, it, it, the answer word raps about Neil Blomkamp a, a lot. Uh, and um, Yeah, see, I, I think that, that warrants maybe a cameo, not a oh, feature for sure. role. <laughs> yeah. Just a thought. Like, I think what you, you get, like, a Gary Oldman type actor who will play that character. Yeah. Like, you go, you, I mean, you know that story, right, from, like, um, True Romance? Yeah, he's unrecognizable um, in that. Well, one, it's, but yeah. he's playing uh, one of the actors from The Professional. Oh, there's that. He's like one of the cronies who's just like, "Yeah, man, let's do this." And it's a white guy talking like a Jamaican, mm-hmm. and he was like, "I'm stealing that. I'm going <laughs> to use it in this true romance movie that I'm doing." And that's why he, I mean, he plays it even better <laughs> than well, that guy. Well, mm-hmm. the interesting thing about the Antwerp, which is actually one of the reasons I was excited about the movie, is because. They are playing characters like Ninja and Yolandi. It's not their real names. His name is like Wadi Jones or something like that. He's an art school kid. She is the daughter of like this super rich televangelist in South Africa. They are already acting. And since like their performance art is so just like seemingly uncompromising, I was excited to see, oh, my God, maybe these guys will be the greatest actors in the world on screen. But it was not the case. <laughs> John, this movie you got up here was on my list, too. This is Smile Tap, Rob yeah? I was going to say, uh, what bust out that list. Uh, it's, it's, I think you're, you're hitting them a lot. Well, like, this is another great example. I mean, Rob Reiner obviously mm-hmm. yep. can call upon the best people in the world to work on his movie. And that's not to discredit him. I mean, no. he, obviously, his form is on game. Well, so. he did this in Princess Bride, so he kind of gets a, I think he, Enters into some sort of Hall of Fame. Yeah. Of making. Oh, like, for sure. No, all of his films. movies. Yeah. Didn't he also make Misery? He's a badass. He, it's weird. he is. He is. Did, but I feel like, was it Rob Reiner who his most recent film? He did a rom com recently, maybe? Was it. I just think of him in The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, that's right. He plays his dad. It's He's so good. His, he's. it. It's almost like a. Um, oh. What's his name? The. I'm blanking on the name. The director of The Godfather, the Coppola. Coppola. Is it Coppola? Or Coppola. Oh, probably Coppola. I, I say Coppola. Coppola. But, but he he was this, you know, very prolific director. Made some of the best things, and then he made Jack. And now yeah. he's like making indie movies, like his yeah, like Tetro, Youth Without Youth. Mm-hmm. Both of those movies are almost unwatchable. I guess he did Jack. Jack he was absolutely no saddest shit ever. I guess when you're when you're Francis Ford Coppola, you can get to a life where you can say, you know what. Fuck it, I'm gonna make Jack. Or you can get, you can be in retirement age and say, I'm just gonna make the projects yeah. that interest or, me. Or is it an Orson Welles thing where you're constantly trying to chase the? You started out at the best, and I mean the same could we don't know yet, but could be said for Neil Blomkamp. I think he's, I I, I still think he has a lot of untapped potential. Yeah, I think uh, similar to a Donnie Darko type situation or a Richard Kelly, he just needs to surround himself around people who are better than him. Yeah, I just and think- <laughs> make him like rise to that occasion. You know, like. I, I I imagine when Neil Blomkamp's making movies, and maybe this isn't something I'd ever say to his face, but he's probably the most talented person on set. 
most yeah. likely. He could probably do everyone's job and he knows it. Mm-hmm. He probably needs someone who could run circles around him as a, either like in all those facets. I would just say so his, that he tries harder. Yeah, I say his wife is maybe his equal. The problem. <laughs> we want to talk about like <laughs> awesome directorial stuff. debuts and then like just faceplant second efforts. Sure. Man, what would some of those I mean, be? Well, so that when we talk about Richard Kelly... Southland Tales, which is the one I kept pitching to you guys that I wanted to talk about, but like, <laughs> but to your point, like, not that not only being the the problem with being the most talented person on set is that you also have to have somebody who can tell you no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with Southland yeah. Tales, this was clearly some sort of grandiose vision he had in his head that was like <laughs> akin to the ambition of Apocalypse Now, mm-hmm. and it was just a fucking face plan. And, and everyone said yes because Donnie Darko was a hit. Well, actually, it wasn't yeah. a hit. It was a cult hit. A cult hit, but this was like years after Donnie Darko. Mm-hmm. But everyone on set was like, I didn't really get Donnie Darko, and it was great, so I don't really get what's happening here on sure. set right now. It's probably still going to be great. Uh, real quick, John, I want to point out your major fuck-up. Um, hmm. You're showing the trailer for Deus Ex. Ex Machina. Ex Machina, sorry. Um, this was not the first film directed by Alex Garland. It's the first film he was credited yeah, for. Yeah, sure. Because oh. word came out that he directed Dread, basically. He's not credited for directing it, but... The newer Dread? Yeah. The, the, the Dread he, 3D? He's he's the writer on it, but the story eventually came out, and it was always sort of the rumor. They're like, because he was on set every day. They're like mm. a, lot, a lot of the crew, they're like, yeah, Alex directed it. The other guy was just sort of there to make sure the 3D worked, apparently. Uh, yeah, so. I saw that in 3D. I thought it was that it was pretty good. Yeah, it was really good. I thought it was that the other guy was ruining it, and Alex was like, basically fighting him to make it a good movie. Yeah, I just I was excited when Ex Machina was announced because I was like, oh, I liked Dread a lot, and I liked all the films that he wrote. So and well, that, on, that movie on, was amazing. On, on the same note, what did you guys think of Annihilation? Yeah. I had read the book. Yeah. Uh, Elise and I had both read the book beforehand. And so I kind of already, I don't know, I already liked it in my head. So seeing it was just kind of a visualization of something that I had enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was kind of weird. Like a lot of people I know didn't like it. um, But. I didn't hate it. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't the walk away. The ending is different, right? Yes. Yes. And it, it also like, yeah. the thing is the book spans like, or the, it, th- that story spans three novels and a trilogy, and this only sort of scratches the surface. But I felt like didn't leave it open to pursue the, the future of the story. And uh, for me, I just thought the book like, I hate it. I hate the discussion of like the book's better than the movie or whatever. Sure, sure. Because I think I actually think the movie's like amazing of mm-hmm. its own merit. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like unpacking the story, I did think it was a lot more compelling the way that they like unpacked the mystery in the book. Because mm-hmm. in the movie, it's a little bit more just told to you mm-hmm. um, early on and sort of at face value. But yeah, that I mean, the end was beautiful. Like in, in the lighthouse, just mm-hmm. visualizing certain parts, and and like I thought all the ladies that acted in it were amazing. I appreciated the tone. I li- I actually liked the slow burn. Maybe I was just in the mood for it, but like I liked that it wasn't your typical sci-fi action movie or anything like that. Even though I think that's kind of what people were expecting. Yeah. Um, Especially with a name like Annihilation. Yeah. I I guess I was. I don't know. I didn't walk away loving it. It's not something that I was in a hurry to see again. But I it was. I was happy it existed. Yeah. I guess that's the thing. Like I'm glad at least this a movie like this is getting made. Like, even though it's a commercial failure, most likely, it's still, it's there. Yeah. Happy for that, at least. Um, A movie I had on my list was Primer, Shane Carruth. But I don't know. What was Shane Carruth's follow to Primer? Uh, Upstream uh, Color. Upstream Color. Oh, yeah. oh, which I did which, not like Upstream me neither, Color. Me neither. Damn it. I, really, I, I liked it a lot. I have a friend who loves Upstream Color. Like, me. considers considers <laughs> it his, go- his personal <laughs> gospel, but I just thought that was so much up its own ass. Oh, it absolutely is. And, and... I, but Primer's dope. Mm-hmm. But isn't it the dope. same thing what we're talking about? We were talking about Westworld before we started this. And isn't it the same thing where it's like it's more fun to look at the JPEG of the timeline than it is to watch the movie? For Primer? Yeah. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Or, or to go back and watch knowing how it, it's going to I've still only seen it that one initial what the fuck did I just watch time. Mm-hmm. I think I saw it a second time to show it to someone else. Um but it is, it is a lot to follow. It's so impressive. that What did that yeah. movie cost, like $8,000 yeah. or something yeah. like that? Yeah. And they were able to create something so complex. Like, well, they didn't, they didn't waste any film. Like, every everything that you see is the first take. And they never, like, it was all, it was done mathematically. That's crazy. So they is, shot one-to-one. Yeah. That's I started, insane. Yeah. The, I don't think of them exactly the same. But when an, a music artist has, you know, their whole life to make their first album and then 
their sophomore album, it's like, oh, well, now they have maybe two years to make their sophomore album. I don't think of movies in the same way because I do think that recording 10 songs is maybe maybe more difficult than like having another concept for a feature. Um, But I think it is like where you you can put all that that lead up time into your first feature and then to to keep your your heat, keep the attention on you. you You've got to follow up with something and you've got to especially if you're an auteur where you're writing it too, like you've got to act while the the stove is hot, Mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. And, and that I can only imagine is so much pressure. Like I, I think true, not a feature, but true detective, you know, coming off that, that first season. And then uh, what's his name? Uh, I know you're talking about guy. yeah. Yeah. You know, we all dream about like making the one amazing piece of art, but then like, you know, as you know, the, I think that gratification only lasts like, a day, and then and then it's immediately to fuck. How do I top this? Yeah, and then well, it becomes hell again. I think the the ones, I guess the the, the better stories that I've, the, I guess on a happier note, there's like the Darren Aronofsky, where Pie yeah. is a movie you watch and go, it's okay. Um, it looks like they did a lot with what they had. And have you ever watched the uh, director's commentary for Pie? It's really fascinating, where he credits Woody Allen with the success of that movie, only mm. because they were shooting in the subways at night in New York. And Woody Allen happened to be shooting up on up top, and so cops kept coming and go, "Oh, you're good," because they thought they were second unit. Oh, okay. And the only way that movie got made, I mean, it's it's funny that he's admitting like I shot all this illegally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's like how he got away with it. But then he follows it up with Requiem for a Dream, which is like, oh, cool. This is what he does with a, a little bit of micro budget. And then I want to say he followed that up with a fountain. You're right. You're uh, right. Yeah. yeah. I, even, I love even the fountain. I fountain is on. I I don't think I give enough credit. It is like. I, I rewatch it every once in a while. And it's still like one of my favorite movies. It's so damn. Oh, that's awesome. It's so good. But that movie originally was supposed to have like a hundred and fifty million dollar budget. Right, with Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. And yeah. they and they cut it significantly. And I'm really happy with the movie they made, probably because it is just sort of an art through adversity sort of thing. But yeah, the the stories you hear about that, like how all the special effects were done through like a microscope, and they're just oh. looking at like cells and yes, and like so much better. And like that that almost works on a more like poetic level where they're traveling the universe, but what you're seeing is these these tiny things that zoomed in. I'm like, and how it is all kind of connected. And I'm like, that's that's awesome. That's fucking amazing. And just yeah. the, the way it was shot and everything else. Like the, the there is a actually making of that. But in a really weird way in Vimeo, there was a, a guy who worked on set and he was just sort of filming behind the scenes. Mm. And it's, it's a much more kind of voyeuristic way of like watching a making of. Yeah. Um, but I highly recommend that if you're into the any Darren Aronofsky like sort of film school stuff. Speaking of making of, this episode is brought to you mm-hmm. by Lisa Mattress. <laughs> how, how was my transition? It was good. Guys? Yeah. Because uh, they help make this podcast uh, be a thing. Um, now... Guys, I've been having some personal issues in the bedroom uh, <laughs> with sleeping. I think I might be uh, <laughs> suffering from uh, disruptive sleep apnea, which is basically where I snore so hard that I start choking in my sleep. You're not breathing. Yeah, I'm yeah. not breathing. Anyways, I've been really tired, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Lisa talks about well, you know, one of their main things is that a quality night's sleep will help you recover from distractions faster, prevent burnouts, make better decisions, improve your memory, all this stuff. And um, this this most recent week, uh, I've been sleeping correctly in one position where I can actually breathe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's uh, I've, I've felt so much better than I did last week. Um, so that's very true. That's Thank you for that truthful story. John. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I might have to wear a sleep apnea mask someday, uh, but I'm avoiding that at all costs by not going to the doctor. Um, but one thing that, that I like about Lisa, uh, you know, they make a great mattress. Uh, they have 30 years of experience, um, and they've done hundreds of hours of testing, which I've said that I would love to volunteer for Lisa if they, you know, continue doing testing. I'd love to, uh, help them, uh, you know, make a better mattress by uh, sleeping for them. Um, <laughs> but outside of making this mattress, uh, they basically are helping make the world a better place too. How so, John? Um, they have, I mean, basically every time Lisa's a sponsor, I talk about this because I think this is, at least for me, this is like the biggest selling point for how dope Lisa is. 
Um, it's they have a one ten program, which is every time every ten mattresses they sell, they donate one mattress um, to charity. Uh, and uh, I, I looked into it because I was like, what does that mean? Are they just like leaving mattresses out on the street? Mm-hmm. Um, and no, uh, there are nonprofits that uh, help uh, people uh, who are basically there's. The, the chart I saw is that there's like different phases of homelessness from like completely homeless on the street to rebuilding your life and making it back to a point of like having a job and living in a home and paying rent and everything. Um, and all those different phases, there are nonprofits that specialize in helping people transition from each step. And Lisa basically works with all of those organizations, giving them beds, helping with housing and things like that. And they've actually given away, uh, donated more than 26,000 mattresses at this point. So that's a lot of happy sleepers. Um, And they also plant trees. (laughs) So that's – they work with the Arbor Day Foundation, and they plant one tree for every mattress sold. And they are committed to planting one million trees by 2025. So smell that. (laughs) <laughs> That's Elisa Mattress giving you that air. Um, anyways, <laughs> don't miss the summer savings. Uh, they're doing a thing uh, where you get $160 off any Lisa Mattress uh, if you go to lisa.com slash filmhouse. Filmhouse. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash F-I-L-M-H-A-U-S. Lisa.com slash filmhouse to get $160 off a Lisa Mattress. Uh that's mad, isn't it, guys? Almost as mad as Mad Max, George another Miller's directorial debut, debut. <laughs> <laughs> um, from George Miller. What? You know, um, I still never seen it. You've never seen the original Mad Max. I've actually never seen a Mad Max movie other than Fury Road. Not even Thunderdome. No, I've, it's just—it's a weird thing where it's just—it's never. It's like I've—I know enough about it. I know enough about it in pop culture that I feel like I have seen it. Yeah. I know about Boomerang Kid. I know wow. about you. You have gas though, tanker because. Um, they're so wacky. Like that, sure. that's something that, cause I felt the same way where I was like, I've seen little clips of Mad Max on television, flipping through the channel so many times. Like I've never actually seen these movies. Mm-hmm. And then a few years ago I watched all of them and it made me like in preparation for Fury Road and it made me, um, and this is a controversial opinion I have. It made me not like Charlize Theron in Fury Road. Why is that? Um, in all the previous Mad Maxes, everybody is fucking weird uh, and quirky. And the whole world, it's like it creates this universe of like in this post-apocalyptia, everyone is just a fucking weirdo. Um, and they all play it with kind of this kookiness. Mm-hmm. And then when F- I saw Fury Road, everyone had that except one character, which was Furiosa. Max. Oh. Um, who was very serious the whole time. It felt like Charlize Theron rather than a character inside of the Mad Max world. I still really love the movie, and I love how badass she is and everything like that, but I just felt like she was playing it without that hint of weirdness. Like, she was the straight man, uh, but she still wasn't kooky, in my opinion. Uh, but the first Mad Max is fucking weird. Well, it's just an angry guy in Australia. Like, yeah. like any any like apocalyptic uh, desert tones of the the new one that you know. Like, I mean, I guess it is technically a very uh, dismantled society in the first one. It's still like kind of a no holds bar world, but like, it's just Mel Gibson sort of seeking revenge. In the outback, a yeah, bit. and then the, there will there'll be like minute long car chases where everyone's just driving, and then it zooms in on the guy's eyes, and he has like, what like yeah. prosthetic eyes where they're bulging yeah. out, and he's just like, <laughs> like yeah. gassing it, and it's just, it's just really strange. I, I guess I would say like it's George Miller's prerogative to say like I'm gonna remake this movie, and you know what, I did like all the ham fisted like kookiness of the first one, but I kind of want it to be like a, an action, more of an action film, and more of a. So when I do the remake, I'm gonna put in this character that I, I at the time I could have never gotten to play this Furiosa, but yeah. But I mean, um, everyone was kooky in all three of the movies. Oh, absolutely. And then in this one, everyone was kooky 
in Fury Road except for her. But I, I appreciate when you say that. Kooky, do you mean like camp? Just like, uh, yeah, just kind of. There's kind of weird. a strangeness to it, yeah. like Australian nature, if you will. <laughs> oh, but I, but you know, because George Miller made the first one and then made the new one, I would say like. He's allowed to do yeah, that. Yeah, I think he's kind of. Yeah. yeah, I think he's kind of allowed to. Yeah, make that's that's actually really rare. I mean, George Romero, I think tried to do that a couple times, Maybe. where he would make a zombie movie like towards the end of his career and life, and he could never really recapture that magic. As opposed to Fury Road, where this is the guy who invented Mad Max and he brought it back, and I think he made it uh, interesting and very watchable for a bunch of people like me who had never actually they know what oh, Mad yeah. Max is, but they'd never actually seen it. And that that movie's a goddamn triumph yeah <laughs> like mad fury road is so goddamn good yeah it is infinitely rewatchable it is like it never stops being fun i don't know even when it's kind of slow it's just it's enough time to breathe but god what a you would not expect an old australian man to make that movie from no. the director of happy feet and, <laughs> uh, and babe uh, babe pig in the city like comes one of the most awesome movies in the last 10 years well, like, you, and then the first one you're like this is night and day you know compared mm. to the first Mad Max. And I just want to be clear, I didn't dislike Furiosa. I just thought that that one tiny kooky no, element I, yeah. was missing. No, I, uh, I think there's enough kookiness in that movie to go around. Yeah, yeah. I Honestly, know. It was just... Little, I, little baby man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes directorial debuts can go too well, and then, like, you're shoehorned into a second movie that's going to fuck you over. So, you guys seen Train Spotting? Mm-hmm. So yeah. great directorial debut, but then after that, oh, basically the beach. the beach. Yeah, Titanic oh, yeah. came out. We got a rush to put Leonardo DiCaprio in something, so you shoehorn him into this movie, mm-hmm. and you know that's kind of a stain on Danny Boyle for a while. Yeah. But another one, it fuck, I forgot. Uh, Give me a hint. I can help you. I'm no, I'm trying to remember Kevin myself. Bacon. No. Yeah. How does it connect uh, to Kevin Bacon? <laughs> um. God damn. All right. I'll remember. Well, that's I'll. I'll say to while you think about that, I'll say a directorial debut I need to go back and and see because I haven't actually seen it is Jeremy Saulnier's first movie because who's that? Did did Green Room? uh, Jeremy Saulnier. A U L. (laughs) 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 And he's got Hold the Dark coming to Netflix this year, and I think he's a director that he's got like. A couple movies under his belt, but he's only getting better and better. So Green Room was oh. his, his second movie. Green Room was di- his third movie. He directed. Th- oh, okay. He was making Blair directed Blue Ruin, the guy that's that stars in it. Mm-hmm. But he was cinematographer. They're like really good buds. So Wait. I've never seen Murder Party, but Dude. I I should go back and see Murder Party. Murder Party is so fun. This is I, I know I should watch it tonight. When I when <laughs> I originally came up with the idea to talk about this episode, I wanted to talk about Murder Party, and then for some reason I forgot about it. Oh. Murder Party. I'm gonna put up the trailer right now. Sure. No, I, I kind of don't want to see it. I kind of oh, just want to. Yeah. But no, no, put it up. Whatever. I'm a. No, I'm an adult. Let's play. Get out of here. Let's play. Who cares? Let's uh, play. I'll, I'll, I'm an adult. Well, I can just watch so, it. No, don't no, watch no, the trailer. We'll just go see it. But, I didn't watch the trailer. Okay. But I think Green I Room it. is so great. I'm so excited for Hold the Dark, and I think that this is a guy that he came out with a like a really strong debut, and not something that you would go like. This is his best work, but I think this is a director where you go, man, he has so much room to grow, and he kind of puts his whole life in his films. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, need, I should go watch that tonight. I've been nervous about, uh, I still haven't seen Blue Room. I saw Green Room. It was the first movie I ever saw in uh, an Alamo theater, um, and I was blown away by it. Uh, and so then I went back and watched Murder Party, and I watched the trailer for Blue Room and said, this is going to make me feel horrible uh, I need to work up. I need to be in the right mindset to watch Blue Ruin, and it's been oh. like what three and a half years. It is uh, real good. Holy shit! I just re- I just saw in there that that guy who did what's his name? Macon Blair, the, dire- the, the actor? director of uh, Jeremy Saulnier. Yeah, the, oh, yeah, whatever the director of Green Room is doing two episodes of True Detective. Yeah, season he, three. He's season oh, three. Oh, they brought oh, him in. Well, that got me very. I remembered the thing I was going to say. So there was this in 2006. The best foreign picture was this movie called Satsi. It was great. It was from South Africa. Um, and then, you know, the movie was so good. This first time director won an Academy Award for Best Foreign Picture. And then guess what the next movie he made was? What? X-Men Origins Wolverine. Mm. Yeah. Ah, that that's, that's when you take the fast lane to the big check in Hollywood and mm. it fucks you over. Well, they did that with um, the guy who did Godzilla. He was known for making these kind of weird. Sub- oh, he made monsters. Yeah. yeah these yeah. sort of like subversive like thought think pieces of like monsters and they made Godzilla which was just I felt like just like a whole like wad of nothing yeah um, 
which is there's probably a reason why they brought him on was because they're like, oh, he has a talent for this thing. Let's make him do this thing. And it didn't work out. Well, that's what happened with the guy who directed the first Jurassic World, Colin Trevorrow. Well, he, he made that, uh, that like, what, what is it? Um, uh, like the Craigslist indie movies, time travel thing. Do you know the name? Uh, not Safety Guaranteed. Safety, safety Not Guaranteed. Safety Not Guaranteed. And yeah. then, they, then they give him a billion dollar movie. Yeah. And then they're like, this guy's doing Star Wars. And then they saw his other movie and said, this guy's no longer doing Moon Star Wars. Wars. <laughs> I actually like Safety Not oh, Guaranteed. You guys want to know about a, another train wreck of good first movie? Horrible second movie? Sure. Chronicle. Chronicle, uh, Josh Trank, great movie. Then the Fantastic Four, train wreck of train wrecks. Yeah, and then he rips on everyone online and says it's yeah. everyone else's fault except for mine. And he said, guess what? You're not doing Star Wars either. Honestly, yeah. though, yeah. In, those, in a situation like X-Men Origins or Fantastic Four, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he did run into a lot of roadblocks by whatever studio and executives he's, like, competing with. Those can be, I guess, nightmares mm-hmm. to work with. The Josh Trank thing, I had heard that he was just kind of losing it on set. Like, he was trashing houses. I mean, the guy is young. I don't know him. He's I don't just know in over his head? Yeah, he might have been in over his head. Couldn't deal with the studio. Just, I don't know. I mean, I get it. Like, I wouldn't want to be 26 years old walking into work and bossing around a bunch of 60-year-old guys, like blue-collar guys all day. That would that'd be rough, you know? Sure. I, I mean, on the, at the how old was friggin' James Cameron though when he did Terminator? You know, well, James Cameron is like a savant. Like, sure, really James different. Cameron, yeah. yeah, drove trucks for fifteen years before becoming yeah. a director. That's mm, how he right. knew the truck scenes for Terminator. Yeah, exactly. He said, I got trucks. He's like, I've driven a truck off a bridge before. Yeah, like, I know what's like gonna happen. Steven Spielberg making Jaws, and he's like twenty six or twenty seven, mm-hmm. I guess. And uh, man, and me even now, I'm like, I could not clothe myself at twenty six. Yeah, <laughs> like, that was also back at a time where like. Oh, you went to film school. Sure, Therefore, yeah. you know how to make a movie. There's mm-hmm. these days you go to film school. It's like fuck you. You probably aren't even good enough to like you know grab me coffee. You know? Give it's me a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, so, I think it's sort of the gold <laughs> rush mentality. Yeah, where, absolutely. So because there's a there's like a famous photo, right? It's like uh, Coppola, Lucas, Spielberg, and someone like else. De Palma. De Palma. Yeah. yeah. So it's like even De Palma. Say what you will. Like he did make. Um, oh, what was the freaking movie he did? I mean, he did Scarface, but he did a couple other things. Black Dolly. Untouchable. Yeah, yeah, I think. Even those on that list, like that master list, these are all guys who like went to film school together, yeah. and they were they were like the chosen ones. These guys, and they they for you know they shaped what Hollywood was for the longest time. And then I think a lot of people saw them and went film school. Yeah. That's what we'll tell people. So now I'm one of them. Yeah. Well, well those like, <laughs> I mean, I, I dropped out of film school. I oh, almost okay. went to Hollywood film school and then I went, no, this is a scam. Yeah. I should probably get away from this uh, because they basically people were saying, give us a hundred thousand dollars and we will in one year, you'll be in the film program. And you're like, <laughs> but there's no, there's no guarantee at all. Yeah. And so there's a lot of people now getting rich off of people by selling them on the dream of if you go to film school, like George Lucas, who dropped out. Uh, you, yeah. uh, you know, and he had actually ended up hiring his film professor to direct Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah. So figure that one out. I mean, that that how long can they really sell that narrative? Like, I mean, when was the lo- when was the I, last I think, time I think the you narrative have now that? Is don't go to film school. Yeah, is it though? Like, I wonder. Like, I even uh, wonder if I go back to my film school. Like, are they still teaching the same things? Are they still trying to tell their students that you can be Quentin Tarantino and you can make Reservoir Dogs? Like, are they still telling them that? Maybe I I didn't go, but I. I don't think they're, it's bad, to be honest. Like, well, I, you want to? I mean, look, if my, if I'm spending my own money to be in college, I want to make sure that I'm like, you know, prepared for to 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 get work or at least have a realistic future. You know, sure. I think you go to film school to meet like-minded people who also want to make movies. Right. But you can also do that at community college. You can do that at a different college. You can just do that at. I don't think paying. Extreme, like I said, this was a hundred thousand dollars they wanted me to pay in two thousand three or four. Like they're that, paying what to put for what to put on your resume, but I think but, like I mean, no, to like go to film school and get like a hyper uh, a hyper education in a year. That's what they it, were selling me on. I think it would be like dismissive to say you don't walk out of there having learned something. You know, yeah, oh, no, no, not at you all. And, uh, I would sure he would have learned something too at the Hollywood Film School. Probably, yeah. But also, I think it's I don't know. It, it's that strange thing where I think. If anyone, especially now in today's world, if you have any sort of interest in anything, you can learn most of the basic building, the basic foundation online. Yeah. I think you can do take an online class. You can just watch movies, watch, listen to director's commentary. I think you get enough of that 
that you can start and then just like just make shit. Yeah, you can yeah. do that. You can film something on your phone. Well, the guy who did uh, Hereditary, uh, right? Like mm. he said that that one movie, Bo, that he shot in a day, like in an apartment, and it looks like he just shot it on like a handy cam. And it's like you look at that and go, oh, okay, if this guy had some money, what else could he do? Yeah, and I think I think you enough people have that option now where they didn't have that thirty years ago. Or like, did you guys see Tangerine? Mm-mm. It's the uh, the guy, oh, the yeah. first movie, the guy who made the Florida Project. Oh, mm. I have not seen the floor. What is the Florida Project? It's it's de- uh, de- exercise and depression. It's <laughs> 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 like what it is. Yeah, it's not uh, not uplifting. No. But uh, you know, another legendary first feature that people love, but I think really sucks is El Mariachi, the Robert mm-hmm. Rodriguez movie that was made for eight thousand dollars in mm-hmm. the nineties. That. That movie is actually the story of it is more interesting. Yes, yes. Like, absolutely. The book is more interesting. Yeah, yes. the Rebel yes. Without a Crew. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but then, but then Desperado is basically a remake. Right. Same yeah. with Sam Raimi and Evil Dead. Yeah. Evil mm-hmm. Dead Two is basically a remake. Yeah. Right. Um, even Fury Road is kind of a remake. This like, is what I would have done if I had. Yeah. yeah. So th- there's always that sort of interesting thing where it's like, here's what I can do for nothing. Studio, give me money and we'll remake it. We'll just call it Part Two. Yeah. Or we'll just name it something else and we'll show Selma Hayek's tits. Not to. D- d- that's what he here. said. But could me. you look up Danny DeVito's directorial filmography? Oh, for sure. He did I, I Death think, to Smoochie, right? I think his first one was Matilda, right? Let's yes. see. Or his oh. IMDb, I guess. Oh, is this what you're talking about? No. Um. Not Frank's Best Moments and <laughs> <on> Always Sunny. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, Matilda was his first film. Yeah. So I remember seeing that and being like, what? I know I can minimize it, but mm-hmm. scrolling yeah. is also fun. So Danny's so video is actually oh, like 23 He's things. done a bunch of stuff. Oh, Throw Mama from the Train. Oh, okay. Oh. War of the Roses. Hoffa. Wow. Death to Smoochie. Uh, it's a dark movie. It's a mm-hmm. very dark movie. Yeah. Hmm. Duplex. He hasn't directed anything since uh, 2003, but he has a movie called St. Sebastian coming out. Hmm. Oh, and they used uh, your favorite font. Is that pi- papyrus? Yeah, that's the uh, that's how they did the subtitles in Avatar. That's <laughs> yeah, a billion dollar movie. You oh, he did Duplex. I don't know Duplex. With Drew Barrymore. I know I Duplex. Remember, I remember Dark seeing that in the theaters. Movies. It's Ben Stiller, and there's yeah. an old woman that they're trying to get rid of in the Duplex. And oh, she right, just right. will not go. It's basically just a remake of the Money Pit, isn't it? it like, kind of, yeah. with, but with the old woman. Because uh-huh. <laughs> she is a sturdy old bag, and she that she is. Look she, at her. Like, she's so scheming. <laughs> is uh, Peter Jackson's first movie Dead Alive? I believe it was Meet the Feebles. Uh, well, Dead Alive is so <laughs> Why do you good. laugh? <laughs> it's just funny. That, I, the, the amount of information stored in my head is so useless. <laughs> Yet here it is. Come on, Meet the Feebles. Nope. The Valley. No, Bad Taste. Bad taste. Totally forgot about that one. Yeah, that's the one where it's well, like. Well, Dead Alive is the first one I've seen. Oh, that movie is amazing. Yeah. That looks pretty awesome. My friend had a poster is. of this. Yeah, that's really we weird. print that it's out for the Max. office. Yeah. This is uh, about, Peter. Same. Whoa! <laughs> I need to watch this. Peter yeah. Peter Jackson's also a really interesting story too. Of just this guy in New Zealand, love complete love of film, and it, it it's insane to see what he built there. There's there's yeah. a lot of just interesting backstory there. How he built Wingnut and Weta, and these things with like a lot of like minded people in New Zealand of all places, and goes from the Frighteners to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I don't, how, I don't know how he landed that deal. Was it big? Was it just because he was like, "I can do this on the cheap"? I think it was. We can do three movies for one hundred and seventy-five million dollars. Um, no, have- it was, uh, the, he went in. It was because New Line Cinema, uh, the CEO or one of the execs, was a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, so basically, Peter Jackson teamed up with Weta, <laughs> and um, they would just had made a bunch of props and started, you know, development on everything. And they pitched it to every studio. Every studio said no. And then they went to New Line and he's like, we can do Lord of the Rings. Look at all this stuff we've made. And it'll be one movie for this much. And the New Line cinema guy was like, let's make it three. Um, and that's genuinely like how it how it got sold was that the Lord of the Rings has is a very popular series that, you know, some even old fart executives uh, or children when they read it uh, and loved it and want to see a movie of it. So, mm. And I'm sure they're glad they did. Well, I mean, up to that point, too, Lord of the Rings was kind of 
at least I thought it was dorky and stupid. Like my my uncle was into The Hobbit and he was like, you should read The Hobbit. He showed me the visual book of it. And I was like, wow, this looks like garbage. Like <laughs> he, he, this looks terrible. Bilbo, like his name's really, his name's Bilbo. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> that rhymes with other words. Yeah. And then I saw the trailer for Fellowship and I was like, Oh, Lord of the Rings looks kind of cool. Yeah. Same with Harry Potter. I mean, oh, my, my yes. brother was reading this. Of course, this, this is classic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, describe what we're watching. Uh, this is Leonard Nimoy's... Uh, Leonard Nimoy's musical debut. Mm-hmm. If anyone's going to make The Hobbit cool, it's Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, Wait, is are are his ears pointed? Is he just like in the Vulcan? Yeah, I think this was during Star Trek. No one cared. <laughs> this is the '60s. They just get oh yeah, it's it's look look on the right. It says the 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 title the album Mr. Spock's music from outer space. Is that <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, I don't know. If those two worlds will ever collide in our lifetime again. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe you know with. Uh, with the Infinity War, maybe IP mixing. Once Disney owns everything, sure. it's going to be Power Rangers versus Ninja Turtles and all that shit. That's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, any lasting thoughts you want to go out on? Um, Freddy Got Fingered. Yeah, Freddy Got Fingered. Wait, Let's who, all... Who? Tom Green. Oh, that was his directorial... Wait, what else has he directed since then? It was, That's it, right? It was his directorial effort. Oh, okay. <laughs> I still haven't seen it, and I'm... A, I don't... Is it, I haven't is, seen is it, it either. Is it even worth it? Uh, there's this movie called Master of Disguise. Yeah, we've all seen it. Brilliant. I saw turtle, it turtle. In, I saw it in yeah. theaters. I saw it in theaters, and this turtle? movie is like, I'm pretty sure an hour and six minutes or something. Just um, enough. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was... you <laughs> 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 really so stupid. It's wonderful. I know. <laughs> I, like, when I saw this in theaters, <laughs> I laughed my ass off. Yes. Um, and it's... For some reason, it's one of the worst movies. Regard yes. is one of the worst movies ever. Um, but anyways, that's the that's my final thought. I want to thank Jared oh, for thank being you. here. Um, and I'm pretty sure this episode is coming out. Uh, when do your guys' podcasts come out? So we our podcast come out, comes out on Friday. So check out the Wisecrack podcast called Show Me the Meaning. Adam is going to be on next week. So next Friday, we're covering David Lynch's First movie, Eraserhead. Which I have never seen. Um, oh boy, and that, you're in for This it. episode's also coming out Friday, Saturday uh, of next week. So oh. you guys can actually go check it out right now. Yeah. So check out Show Me the Meaning on uh, either our YouTube channel, Wisecasts, or on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you usually find podcasts. Good stuff. Great. Thank you. All right. Looks, well, uh, looking forward to uh, having you on. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> uh, thanks for being with us, and uh, we'll see you all at the Turtle Club. Peace. I'm turtling now. <laughs> it's so hard for me to make fun of Dana Carvey. <laughs>